0: Welcome to Enemies, From War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversations about belonging and othering. Each program reaches for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Jill Abelock, a book artist, end-of-life doula and spiritual caregiver, and mindfulness meditation teacher. I'm here with my co-host, Polly Young-Eisendrath, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teachings of Buddhism of which we are lifelong practitioners. The Dove is Never Free, our podcast logo. In this podcast, we talk about the philosophy and meaning behind our logo of a white peace dove that is caught in a red interdiction circle either wholly caught or partially escaping. Of course, the dove is a symbol of peace or harmony, or even a peace offering when it has an olive branch in its beak, as pictured in our logo. The red interdiction circle is an international symbol used on highways and products and written communications to mean no or nay or prohibited. Our symbol of the dove trapped in the interdiction circle is meant to indicate that Homo sapiens must become conscious of their natural, enemy-making tendencies in order to have any modicum of peace among ourselves. Peace will never come freely to the human world. We are naturally hostile beings, not naturally peaceful for all of the reasons we have pointed out in previous podcasts. We also talk about the actual source of the meme for our podcast, Leonard Cohen's much-loved Anthem, from which many people know the line, there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in, but few know the line, the dove is never free. Along the way, we speak about real dialogue and the path from war to wisdom. Hi, Polly. Hi, Jill. We have a special guest. It's wonderful to be here with both of you <laughs> Joining again. Joining us today. And I
1: re- I rem- I'm remembering when Polly and I were sitting, I, Polly was coming back from lecturing and we were on the train, for, we were on the train in New Haven, and I mentioned something about the dove, and then mm-hmm. you brought the, the, inter- the interdiction, interdiction symbol in, and it was like that. It was yeah. just, it felt so right.
2: So this is Eleanor yeah. Johnson oh, yes. leaping so into <laughs> the podcast. I yeah. 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 people
1: would remember my voice from <laughs> right. the early days.
2: <laughs> Not everybody who listens has listened to That's all right. of the podcasts. Right, but, right, right. Uh, so Eleanor, it's great to be here. Eleanor and I started this podcast. She and I did invent our icon, our logo, and we invented it quickly. What has happened over time, though, we invented it so that the dove was trapped. Right and then various people complained about the dove being trapped and so now it's been slightly modified so that the dove looks like it's flying out of the interdiction circle which eleanor and i kind of disapprove of we like the <laughs> original one because we thought it was it was truer mm-hmm. you know
0: and i'm really excited to hear how this evolved and you know what it what it's come to mean for both of you. Well,
2: I know, I think it evolved because we were in a conversation that this was really right after Trump was elected, I think, or maybe just a little after that. I can't quite remember when we began the conversation about the polarizations. Mm-hmm that we're a part were becoming a part of everything around us mm-hmm. and how easy it was to actually create an enemy in somebody. Like we were talking about attribution, attributing intentionality to somebody who might be doing something that you don't like or agree with. Right. And I think I had the idea. that's like let's do a podcast because I'm usually the person that says let's do this, and the other that's person right. yes, says, yes. "Oh, we can't do that." Yeah. And then I and say, then "You brought do in it. I was talking yeah. about said,
1: you know withdrawing your projections or how right. to how to find balance in relation to the kind of shock that we were realizing a lot of people were in facing the changes that were that were coming in in the beginning and uh, but Polly brought the word enemy and then thinking about that was just so radical and so timely because right. it is a certain level of responsibility in terms of meeting that meeting mm-hmm. that shadow and and, right. and taking it off another person right and I'm, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I mean, Polly has that, that genius. I'm but
2: you just... talk about these things more, you talk about projection more yeah. than I do. That's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yes. and you talk about shadow. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mostly see it as perception rather than projection. Yeah. I think we perceive other people in a way that we assign things to that perception that aren't true. And then we want to box them into that little box because if you have someone to blame, then you know where the bad is. And then also, that's the way you organize your reality. You think, well, the bad people are over there. If we just got rid of the bad people, then we'd be rid of the troubles. And, you know, Trump has taken up that space so much so that people think, well, if we just got rid of Trump, we're going to get rid of the problems. And actually, that's not true. And I think that that's the thing that I really want the podcast to always return to, which is that creating an enemy is never a solution. And it creates ultimately war. Fragmentation Mm -hmm. and war come always from creating enemies, Mm -hmm. whether it's in your family Mm -hmm. or it's in your society or it's in your country. Mm -hmm. And that human beings are... Very, very attracted to creating enemies because we're very tribal and because we protect ourselves and promote ourselves and we remember what's wrong and what's bad.
0: Right. And that's a logical extension, actually, of the last podcast that we did about attribution. Right. Exactly. So, and it's a little, it looks at, at a little bit at what underlies the tendency yes towards exactly attribution exactly
1: there's also the wonderful kind of educational aspect of this of helping people not run away from their fear or not run away from you know the the uncertainties and the things that they then again using my you know i'll project on somebody else make somebody else wrong but when you can just really face the enemy within yourself that's a powerful tool
2: Well, and to see that it isn't even an individual thing. I know this weekend when I was teaching at Roe, you know, I start out by having people meet each other as strangers. And when they meet each other as strangers, there are very few attributions. There's a lot of space, you're interested, you're curious. But then as you gradually go on to get to know the person, you begin to identify certain things about that person that you like or you don't like. And then you put those things into categories. And then pretty soon, you develop something, but that's a good person or a bad person Mm -hmm. or I'm less than or more Mm -hmm. than that other person. And that is an entirely natural human thing to do. That is the way we are hardwired and that is the way we are. And until we can take responsibility for the species and say, okay, this is our species... And now how can we get to a point of getting along with our species? Yeah. You know, it's not like there are bad people and good people. There are just people and they have various kinds of causes and conditions yeah. and various kinds of circumstances. And you know, I know I come back to this thing again and again, but I mean Hitler wanted to make a better world and he had very high ideals. He did. He felt he and was he was a vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. He was, yeah. And he was a vegetarian. I mean, he was trying in his way to improve things. And so what's wrong with that is that he believed his ideals instead of his humanity. Mm-hmm. He put his bets on ideals and not on relating to his species. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you get to that sort of ideal, you're going to find a solution. You're going to have an ideal that you're going to live by, or you're going to organize your tribe by ideals, you're going to move away from your humanity, right? You know, because if you if you're in your humanity, you see that everybody,
0: everybody is trying to have a good life. In *Sapiens*, Rari talks about um, Hammurabi's Code, yes, and at, yes. As historically they believed yes. that it was it was it was divinely transmitted, right? And it was a system for organizing humans organizing sapiens to be moral they really believed that it was moral and ethical right? and that Absolutely. it was the way to have a moral and ethical society and if you look at some of the tenets of that code you know to our modern moral thinking they're unimaginable right it's- you trade so many human beings who might be
2: slaves for somebody who might be at a different status or you kill, if somebody kills, I can't remember the numbers, right. but if somebody kills your slave, you get to kill like two of theirs. And, and all of this was a way of organizing the structure of a society so that it could move along. Right, and function. Yeah, and, and they functions. believed
0: function, eth- in their mind, function ethically. Ideally. Yeah. Ideally, exactly. exactly.
2: And, you know, right now we're trying
0: to come up with ideals of
2: equality and reciprocity and mutuality. Those ideals have never been tried by Homo sapiens, never, as a way of governing or organizing societies or families. So it's brand new. And if we get too idealistic about it, we will definitely be attacking other people instead of being able to negotiate with other people and work with other people. You know, it's like it's much easier to attack somebody than to try to negotiate and have a dialogue with them. And so as soon as you have the ideal, you're going to go for dehumanizing. And the idea of equality is is one of those ideals. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes, like somebody, uh, the director at Roe yesterday said to me in this period of time we're in, he said he has never in his life, he's my age, has never in his life been in such a highly conflictual, Environment as a liberal. I mean, he's a progressive liberal. He said there's a conflict about everything from the kind of food that you eat, because they have like 16 different diets represented there, to the way you deal with your waste, you know. And he said everything is a conflict among highly conflict avoidant people. Mm-hmm. That's who these progressive liberals are. And so you're faced with these impossible demands. With no chance to negotiate them because people don't want to go through the conflict to actually find out what the solution would be. And I just thought that was an interesting way to put it. That's true, actually. Conflict avoidant people who are full of all these different conflicts like this has to be this way, this has to be that way.
1: it just reminds me of you know seeing in a restaurant in the city with colleagues you know and everybody's got requirements on the on when they're ordering and the waiter or waitress you know standing there putting you know writing all this down because it's just and you know we're just used to it right it happens so much you know it
2: takes up the row it takes now about 10 minutes to announce the different kinds of foods because they have this diet on the table then they have this vegan and then they have the vegan without the soy and then they have over here the people that need extra protein and then over here the (sighs) wheat free bread and over here the bread you know and it just goes on and on and on and at the end of it you feel a little exhausted like you can't quite remember (laughs) what was on this table (laughs) and what's on that table wow and i i didn't you know i didn't know how that evolved and he said that evolved because people want to avoid conflict yeah. so they just keep adding more kinds of diets mm-hmm. rather than trying to sit down as a community and say what what's the limit here right you know and that has that's burdened the kitchen a lot so that they really can't cook mm-hmm. in the way they had previously cooked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's, it's just that to me is again an example of these limits that we're dealing with with humans. And you know, if you have some ideal, how you're going to get a perfect diet or you're going to have a
0: perfect something or other, it, it 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 won't work if you impose it on a bunch of humans. Right. The perfect way to handle waste. The perfect way to do anything. And right. that's and that that again that the idea is let's do it perfectly. Let's get it right and do it perfectly and we'll solve all our problems. And so in a sense, by trying to customize things extensively under the guise of simplifying things for each individual, (laughs) you're actually creating intensely more complexity.
2: Yes, yes. And and difficulty, And in a community like that community where they have limited means... One of the things they were always known for was their cooking, but now the cook can't really cook because there are so many things that that have to be offered, and so you know, so you, you, you just need a have to staff. you just have to offer. Well, they they can't afford it, right. obviously. So you know, so they offer a plate of chicken over here for the people that need extra protein, or you know, then there's the wheat-free bread, and then there's the vegan thing and then there's the soy option and the non-soy option all of this ends up just being a collection of things that they bring out to the table Mm -hmm. again and again because the main dishes the cook is making a lot of people don't want to eat them right you know and so i think that kind of leads into the issue of the dove you know the peace Mm -hmm. dove and the idea that there would be some ideal of peace And when I know when I when I became a young adult, when I moved, say, from my childhood into adulthood, you know, I was in the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement. Not not immediately the women's movement, but I had in mind some idea that we could live in a peaceful world. Mm -hmm. That if we solved certain problems, that the world could then be at peace because people would talk with each other and be interested in each other's welfare and so on. And now, you know, I'm near the end of my life cycle and I have a completely different view of it. I mean, I realize... That peace is so unattainable for Homo sapiens that the best we can do is restrain the Homo sapien so that the Homo sapien has some possibility of dialogue, mm-hmm. of actually getting to know what the other side is, and that that could lead to something like rules for war, or you know rules of conduct in war, like a, a Sun Tzu's book. Uh, the art of war mm-hmm. and i don't think we would ever get any better at peace because we're naturally enemy making yeah we're structured i mean we're, structured we're psychologically
0: structured that way, way. Structured yeah. that way. Right. going back to something you said before i think that the other thing that we tend to do is we tend to look outside of ourselves at what's wrong and and to fix blame and I also sort of as an, I also was very involved in peace-related things when I was younger, and visited various sites around the world, both of great human works and great, great tragedy, and was equally moved by both. And one of the phrases that I encountered as, as I was traveling, particularly through Europe, was "Never again." And that was spoken particularly in relationship to the Holocaust. Although at the Anne Frank House that we visited, they had a small museum there and they had a whole exhibit on that theme. And it talked about all the various forms of genocide that were happening Mm -hmm. on the planet at that time. That was probably about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it really struck me then that when people say never again, and somebody actually was speaking about it, I heard somebody speak about it, and they were speaking about never allowing this, mm-hmm. never allowing someone to do what he, meaning Hitler, did, never mm-hmm. allowing others mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that really it's, it is personal, an internal exploration mm-hmm. of what drives each of us. Mm-hmm. Because this, the seeds of that hatred... That, that creates genocide and that creates the Holocaust reside within each of us. That's
2: right. They're in
0: our hearts. Right. And, and the heart that is the human heart is the heart that has both sides. Right. And that, to me, is the interdiction circle that is that is holding the dove. It's not what you're not going to allow in the outside world. Right. Right. It's what's in me right. that's holding the my peace yes. back yes, yes yes you
2: know in a way that is a nice introduction of real dialogue because the first thing is to speak for yourself yes. and speaking for yourself does not mean using I statements you, you need to use the I statements and eliminate the we and the they but it means speaking modestly and subjectively like this is the way it looks to me or I have this impression instead of this is what we should do and this is the best way and you know this is the solution or you know this is the only direction because we cannot know that right. and as soon as we reside in that kind of idea we create somebody who's not doing it mm-hmm. and so if we keep it simple and modest here's the way i see it this is what i would suggest how about you right and open that up that's very difficult and you know The idea that so many people have taken against Trump and that Trump in this again in the Roe meeting, every time I've been to Roe, there's a lot of Trump talk. And I didn't ask people not to do it. But at one point when somebody was saying something, I said, you know, how do you know that? You know, do you know him personally? Have you been in the room with him? And because the person was saying something about his motivations or what he had said or whatever, and then that person said, you know, I kind of get what you mean, because we were talking about speaking for yourself Mm -hmm. and so on.
0: Attribution.
2: Yeah, and attributions. And then later when we did a dialogue, we, we actually did the dialogue about a problem that one man was having at work, but it was a problem he was having with a woman who wasn't in the room, you know? And so I said many times, when you're speaking about so and so speak about her in a way that she could listen to and not be thrown by so that you could say this is my impression this is the way i remember it i you know i remember the day like this or that and she can't contradict you on that because that's your subjective experience right. but when you start to say she's the kind of person who starts an argument you know doesn't does she's the kind of person who's not open to others' opinions? She's the kind of person who presents her work as the most important work, and so on. You can't know that, right? You you don't know what her right. intentions are. You don't know what her anxiety is. You don't know why she's speaking that way about her work. You know the effects it has on you,
0: mm-hmm. and,
2: and you that's what say you can that. speak from. Yes. yes,
0: yeah, yeah. But
2: that's that's been very very hard for people to do very hard even in a simple situation yeah. much less international situation right you know so i mean if we actually want to govern war so that it does not destroy all of human civilization because we have so many nuclear weapons now we have to actually learn how to keep both sides to keep the two sides together mm-hmm so that they don't split apart Mm -hmm. where one becomes really, like, ideal and the other one is just really
0: bad. And that goes back to protect and promote. Yes. Because the easiest way to protect and promote yourself is to attribute the difficulty or the negativity or the problem as being outside Outside of yourself.
2: yourself. So Eleanor also has gone around to many, you know, environments where wars were fought
1: and where wars commemorated also. Well, one of the things that was so interesting for us, too, as we, you know, went in search of the true meaning of peace, we found that in order to do that, we had to step into war. And then we had to really face what that meant. And so we all went into a very deep personal relationship with it. And it was life changing. But when we were walking the camps or the other areas throughout throughout history where great genocide, because my kind of central theme was genocide, we went into the territory of the enemy. So when we, we walked the concentration camps, we also walked the you know, we walked the German cemeteries. Or we looked at, you know, Japan, it wasn't just we investigated the self inquiry, also involved the other, the enemy. It was profound, profound work and very personal. I mean, at a certain point, you had to kind of step back and say, I, you know, I've got a white flag, I can't, I can't handle, you know, like, what's peace on earth, but if I could take care of it inside of myself, and also if I could somehow develop the discipline and the practice where I wouldn't send somebody down the river, in other words, I wouldn't send the Jew, the... The person of that was different from me, or whatever, I would, you know, that I would not, you know, shut my door. That mm-hmm. I would take, I would be active in terms of not. That was very important to me personally. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That I would not participate in that. I'd have the courage to, to take a stand.
0: Right, and. And I think also seeing how even when damage has been done, we can also support each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was involved with an organization called Kids for Peace, which started in Jerusalem, and the idea was that it was an interfaith organization. It was during, I can't remember if it started during the first or second intifada, but it was Jews and Muslims and Christian yeah. kids primarily. There were probably through a few Buddhists thrown in there, but um, <laughs> uh, primarily whose families decided that their friendship and their connection was more important than the sort of tribal splitting Mm -hmm. that's been happening for centuries, but that was happening at the time. And so anyway, the the organization is now in, in a number of countries. It was in the U.S. And in Vermont, I participated in the programming for several years as an art instructor. And one of the exercises that we did that was really powerful was we had the kids draw either... We didn't do self-portraits. We had the kids draw what they envisioned to be their ideal of peace. Like some... Be- mm. what, they could draw whatever they wanted. But in general, it was either a beautiful, peaceful scene or some kids drew a dove or... Um, and then we had them pair off and hand each other their drawings and rip them up. hmm And so the kids ripped up the drawings and, and put them in separate envelopes. And that in itself... hmm was extremely powerful, mm-hmm. and then what we had them do was, in the same pairs, work together mm-hmm. first on one kid's drawing and then the other to put them back together. Hmm. And it was a, it was, it was oh, no, really, that sounds very powerful. Yeah, it was really are ripping up because yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: you have this strong emotional reaction when you right. see your drawing ripped up. It evokes all of this rage, right? You know, and to, and they had no idea either they, that that yeah, was going to happen. Pro- they didn't right. know. You know, I was just thinking when you were saying this too. Again, thinking back to our last podcast on attribution, and thinking about how many of the people that we consider disenfranchised, we attribute to them good intentions. Mm-hmm. They have bad circumstances, mm-hmm. but then the people that we hate. We, like Trump, let's say that people come out so hateful, saying so many hateful things, because they attribute intentions to him for what he's doing. In other words, they don't attribute circumstances and he can't help himself, he's doing these things, but that he has the intentions to hurt and harm. And it's when we attribute that hurt and harmful intention that we create an enemy and we say this person or these this tribe or whatever, they intend bad things against our family or our tribe. And that tearing up is like that. Right. You know, it's like that is an intentional action right. to tear up your drawing. Right. And I have to say that, I mean, this is just a little bit of a sidebar, but when I was you know, I initially studied studio art and over the years i studied with different artists i dropped it as an undergraduate but then i went to some graduate courses in art and i studied with a famous drawing teacher whose name i cannot remember but he he has uh, pieces that are in the uh, museum of modern art in new york and other places he regularly for the students whose work he liked tore up everything Mm -hmm. so we would work hard on something. We would achieve it pretty much in the way he was asking. He was asking us particularly to pay attention to the space between things. And it was difficult work. And I would stay hours to work afterwards. And then the, he, when he would come through and look at the work, the people whose work he liked, he tore it up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have one thing out of that class. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very big teaching. You know, I mean, I wasn't going on to be an artist, but... I felt like he taught me so much out of the Zen kind of frame. He, was not, right. he was not a Zen person. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, this was not his thing. He was like a drinker and a smoker, cigarettes right. and that kind of thing. But he taught me the, not only the non-attachment, but the art is not about a product. Right. You know, it, it, it's a discipline. Yes. And you're learning a discipline, and if you think it's about the product... And so that tearing up thing when you said it I just re- it reminded mm-hmm. me of how much work I did in mm-hmm. that class that he tore mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and I I think that that issue about he did it intentionally mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. and I could feel the rage when he would do it mm-hmm. you know and I mm-hmm. knew he was teaching me I didn't know if I approved of this thing, but I was in his class. Mm-hmm. So I had no say in it. He mm-hmm. was not the kind of person where you'd raise your hand and you'd say, please, could I say something? You know, I mean, you did right. not say anything right, to right. him fundamentally. Right. But so that that idea of intentional harming mm-hmm. and then attributing to that person that they really want to hurt you and then right. hating them right. for that, right. that, that's very much where we need to exercise our mindfulness muscles you know it's like i find a lot of people are able to talk about disenfranchised populations Mm -hmm. and how what they want to do to support them but then they hate certain people in our government and they cannot even talk about those people as though they were people right you know they've just become a kind of node for hate
0: yeah which i mean world war they i've there have been book Books written about world war ii in particular where i mean we've been doing it for all of human history but in world war ii it was that that kind of um dehumanization right. of other was right. institutionalized it was
2: institutionalized yeah and, big time <laughs> and parasite the movie this current movie the mm-hmm. korean movie parasite it gets at this issue so well because in the beginning of the movie you know, you're sort of rooting for the underclass mm-hmm. and the underlings, and as they move into the overclass, they start to get greedy, and in the end, they destroy in the same way they were destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just you know basically it's like saying, look, it doesn't matter whether you're disenfranchised yeah. or you're once you get into the powerful position, yeah. right. If you don't stop it, yeah. right, you're going to
1: do right. What exactly. Because you're going to promote yourself and protect right. yourself. Right. It's like the right. way we're demonizing millionaires now or billionaires. Billionaires. Yeah. They're like you know, there's no anybody who's got a you know a million or a billion is not a good person, which yeah. is insane.
2: I mean, yeah, yeah. And if we had a million or a billion, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, I think this is a good time to read um, the lyrics to Anthem because this does have, I I feel in a way, and I think when we did this uh, talk about the logo, we've talked about the logo with a lot of people. I feel like I need to, to argue for the logo because mm. there have been people who have said, do you know what this logo means? <laughs> this means you're against peace! <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. and, I, and I've said, no, no, it doesn't. It means that peace is not possible in the way of just peace. If you're gonna impose peace, if you're imposing harmony, mm-hmm. that actually is oppression. So the only way to get to peace is actually to recognize that as a species, we're very hostile, we're very aggressive, in each one of us, as individuals, and then each of our societies, we have to restrain all of that before we can have any kind of peace. And that is a spiritual
1: path. Mm-hmm. That's it a spiritual is, yeah. it gives, path. It yeah. gives you hope to the future. Being able to understand this and and uh, and teach this, it'd be great to be able to teach us in all the early, you know, at a very early age. Yes, it could. We could start in kindergarten. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, I think it would be difficult in kindergarten um, because that's the age when you do really get to hit somebody over the head. Oh and it's goodness. probably okay because you're so young. So I, I'm going to read a, a verse. I'll read the first verse. And I'm going to linger a little bit on our logo. And then uh, maybe you could read one and you could read one. And you can see that the refrain goes back to here. Ring the Bells, bells. that still ring. So I noticed that when people hear this song, what they emphasize in their own mind is the idea that the crack, that is the imperfection in us is what allows us to actually bring out compassion and love and so on. But that is not entirely what Leonard Cohen is saying in this song. But that's the thing that gets remembered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, What would you say he's actually saying? I think he's saying... That we need to celebrate our imperfection, Mm -hmm. not our perfection. And that if we celebrate the imperfection, then we can
0: work with it. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But if we try to go to the perfection, Mm -hmm. it's
2: unworkable.
0: In other words, the imperfection is not a path to perfection. It is what needs to be celebrated for itself.
2: It is the nature of who we are. And so when you try to impose these ideals, this perfection... Mm -hmm. It will always lead to war yeah. mm-hmm. because we can't do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We, can only, we can only really develop by following the path of our imperfection mm-hmm. and then you know, working with that and mm-hmm. recognizing that we're all involved in it. It's, right. it's not like a, an individual thing. Mm-hmm. So he says, The birds they sang at the break of day, Start again, I heard them say. Don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Yeah, the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. And so, just that to me, what he's saying there is that. Don't go back and think about all of this stuff and how you could perfect it. Just begin again and recognize that all the wars, they're going to be fought again. We're not going to get away from this stuff because this holy dove that we aspire to is bought and sold, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then bought again. And the dove is like never free. The dove is not this free dove to go out there Mm -hmm. and bring peace, but rather it's the dove that is captured in the imperfection of who we are, mm-hmm. and we will always have to begin again. We'll have to begin again because there'll always be something that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But don't get discouraged by that. That's how we grow. That's that's well. That's where he's going with that. Yeah, he's with also that. the
1: Buddhist aspect of you know he's breaking the binary. It's almost like non dual. Oh, he's yeah. not setting up yeah. the, no, the it's, polarization. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And
2: he's saying that that's what the birds are saying. Yes. You know, they're, they're saying, you know, just start again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't go back to stuff. Yeah. Just start again. So you want to do the next?
0: Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We ask for signs, the signs were sent, the birth betrayed, the marriage spent. Yeah, the widowhood of every government, signs for all to see. So that again, I think what he's saying is like, we want
2: omens and signs. We've already had them. We can see that everything is messed up. Every government.
0: Yeah, that's there's, right. there's
2: no great government out there and there's no great marriage and everybody betrays somebody. And so these are the signs. The signs aren't these signs of perfection. Mm-hmm. The signs are the signs of our imperfection. right? And that's what's been sent to us. And that's where we have to actually begin again. So, and then remember that goes back to there
1: then. I can't run no more with a lawless crowd while the killers in high places say their prayers out loud. But they've summoned, they've summoned up a thundercloud, and they're going to hear from me. Ring the bells. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. There is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. There we are. Yeah,
2: it's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. yes. song. It's a wonderful yes. poem, yes, really. It is. it is a poem. Yeah, wise, wise so? Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. And, and that's what our logo... <laughs> that's what our logo stands for is that big imperfection in everything and the fact that we can't go directly to peace no
0: and holding that imperfection you know sort of loving the imperfection embracing it is what allows us then to grow to To love our species and also stop
1: the war within or at least
2: to recognize to the recognize war was, is, within it, it, is, exactly. is a human thing. That's yes. right. It's That's a human right. thing. You know? That's right. And the idea that we could love our species, to me, is yeah. such a yeah. big, big thing because people love other species, mm-hmm. but they tend not to love the homo sapien. Right. I mean,
1: it's just the thing that I'm reflecting on as I'm listening is that you know, with the crisis that we're in right now and the chaos and the confusion and the constant change is that to be able to reimagine the future but when you think about this understanding or becoming mindful of all that we're talking about, it really gives one so much hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Well, it, if... gives, it creates such an opportunity for um, deeper learning and, and participation and possibility.
2: This, this is what Eleanor has almost always said on the
0: podcast. <laughs> Well, it's wonderful to have you here to say it again. Well, this is what
1: my work is in my film work, and, yeah. you know, in the visual world that I create in my film work, but it's all about, you know, war and wisdom. Yeah. So this is a good place to yeah. end. Okay. Okay. So I'll go back to cooking now. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank cookhouse. you. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies, for War to wisdom, is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.